Welcome to the Life Well Done Podcast. Optimizing physical, mental, and emotional being. Challenge plus change equals growth. Welcome back, everybody, to the Life Well Done Podcast. Today, I'm super excited to have my guest, Bree Seely, on. Before we get into that, uh, please be reminded that you should go to iTunes, subscribe to the podcast, find me on YouTube, hit me up on Instagram at Life Well Done. The Twitter and Facebook pages are up, and there's more to come with virtual online training here um, and with nutrition. So, quick uh, tidbit there, but now let's get into it. Uh, today, I'm joined by Bree Sealing. Uh, she's a fanatic for everything mindset, claiming it's her jam, it's her everything. She has two degrees in fashion, lived in Italy. She has owned multiple businesses, and before diving deep into the current business she has, which is centered around teaching people co-creation as a way of manifesting anything they desire. She also utilizes hypnotherapy as a way to reboot and accelerate people's mindset shifts. On top of changing careers, moving around, developing businesses, and realizing her vision, she is also an Amazon number one selling author of the book, Permission to Leap, The Six-Phase Journey to Bring Your Vision to Life. She has worked with thousands of people worldwide, helping so many live their truth and walk their soul's path. She's been on NBC's Today Show, Forbes, Medium, Thrive Global, and in the Huffington Post. She has a bubbly, enthusiastic personality, and I cannot wait to learn from her. So enough about me and more with Bree. Bree, how are you doing? Hi, thanks for having me. Absolutely. I'm, I'm pumped about this. I think that's the first time anyone's ever called me bubbly, so <laughs> thanks for that. <laughs> I'm reaching, maybe. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> How's everything going? You're based in Minneapolis right now, right? Yep, right now, temporarily. Uh, I grew up here. I've been back since April, and I leave again in March. Um, theoretically, we'll see. I thought I was leaving in October, and the universe was like, nope, not yet. So, Very, you know. I know, uh, listening, I, I was telling you offline here that I listened to your, your book on Audible. Um, first of all, that thing spoke directly to me, and I'm like, could, couldn't stop it. I had a couple of things I had to do. And I'm like, uh, how do I manage to just keep go- going through this thing? Uh, <laughs> texted my sister about it, told some friends about it. I'm like, you guys got to check this out. But um, we'll dive into that. I want the whole story and how this whole thing came up. But uh, um, one of the things that I realized is how much of a suitcase you've been. Living in Italy, you've lived in Seattle. Um, where, where else? You, uh, obviously, LA. LA. Minneapolis. So yep. you kind of been all over the place. New York. Have you lived in New York? I haven't yet. March will be the first time, but I've visited multiple times. So I'm spending 10 days there at the end of this month and I love it. Awesome. Very cool. So Brie, uh, I have some things listed here, but I want to get kind of the um, abbreviated story of how you go. Obviously most of that story or it feels like most of the story is brought out in your book, which I will encourage people to definitely check out because it's awesome. Um, But from your standpoint right now, where did it happen? How did it happen? Where did you get going with this? What's going on? Yeah, so I do talk a little bit in my book, but this is something that's kind of been in me my whole life. Like I firmly believe that what I'm doing right now is what I had planned to do even when I was still like at a soul level. And so it's only really been within the last year or so that I've been able to kind of step back and look at my entire path, even from the age of like two and three, and realize how divinely perfect everything was. And now again, not just the good stuff, but all the bad, the quote unquote bad stuff as well, right? Like everything in my journey has been leading me to this point. So for example, when I was growing up, my mom was a single mom and I would go to work with her all the time. She worked in a college bookstore and I would go after school and I would help use the cash registers and check people out. And I would train her college students about how to restock goods. And like, so I was I was managing and directing people even at the age of five. And I, like, I didn't even understand that that's what I was doing. Um, things like as an only child, uh, for the first 10 years of my life was an only child. I had to really use my mind and my imagination to create realities where there were none. Um, you know, I, I kind of always knew that I didn't want to be in the small town I grew up in. And so I would imagine myself other places. So like this New York thing, wanted to live in New York since I, before I even went to New York, like I was five or so when I decided I wanted to live in New York. So this has kind of been what I've been gearing up towards, you know, fast forward to college. I was in multiple leadership positions. I helped my parents manage their small business. So I was, you know, managing employees, doing scheduling, counting cash, making deposits, like doing all the business stuff. Um, and then I always said I didn't want to be an entrepreneur, which of course led me <laughs> 
down the path of entrepreneurship and got my degrees in fashion, moved to Seattle area, got a day job, but was like, I still want to be doing fashion. So I just started my own label. And little by little over a course of eight years, you know, I went from making prom dresses and flower girl dresses to being on the runway at LA Fashion Week, dressing Tony Braxton, being on The Bachelor. Like, so, you know, I say, like, I say accidents and coincidences led me to where I am. I don't actually believe in accidents or coincidences, but every single thing that has happened to me in my life has literally been preparing me for exactly where I am right now. That's why I, if you're, you're talking about this and it's invoking the same feelings I had yesterday when I was listening to the book. Uh, a lot of like looking back at me like, oh, maybe that's what that was. And then you know, realizing that I kind of followed fear rather than, you know, played it safe instead of doing what, what really spoke to me. And that, that's something that I feel like I still struggle with today. Like even the podcast, uh, the people close to me really, you know, they talk about, or I tell them, you know, I'm like, I, I don't know, sometimes I feel really off about this. But the funny thing about it is when I went away to school, I had no, I didn't go to college because I wanted to. I went because, I don't know, that's what you're supposed to do. And I started in sports broadcasting and quickly was like, I don't want to do this. This is dumb. And somehow I found myself into the health health field and, and I love training and all these things. But uh, it is kind of funny that I've come back to now podcasting. Um, and I've always kind of just thought, like even as a kid, like I want to be working with people. I want to influence people. And I think a lot of that came from, you know, as a kid, I wasn't vocal about it. And I don't think anybody realized I struggled, but the depression, the anxieties, the, the self-esteem issues that I have, and that carry over to being an adult, uh, and how much that really impacts your ability to take on challenges, take on risks, uh, believe in yourself. And, and so that's kind of like this weird uh, fork in the road that I'm at right now where I, I have a little bit more, well, I have quite a bit more self-awareness about these things. Um, but yeah, yesterday listening to your book, I was like, Oh my goodness, what am I doing? So now I have to go back through the book and actually do the worksheets and, and really, <laughs> um, it's so funny. I was literally just talking with my grandma about something similar because when I was little, um, I actually had a lot of trauma in my childhood and one of my coping mechanisms was just to kind of turn inward and on top of being an only child. Right. So, um, a lot of it was like, I didn't want to be seen. I became a wallflower. I became very shy. I kind of withdrew from a lot of social situations and said something to my grandma about being a wallflower. And she's like, were you ever really like, you were never a wallflower. And I was like, well, grandma, you got to see me in a safe environment. Like you got to see me. That's the essence of me. I became a wallflower as a coping mechanism and as a, as a survival strategy. And so for me over the last 10 years, coming into the place where I am now, like being on the Today Show was one of the most terrifying things in the world. I woke up that morning and was like, I can't watch it. They're going to twist my words. They're going to make me into a crazy woman. Like everything's going to go wrong. It's going to be terrible. Like I just have to hide. And I laid in bed, I think that day until noon, until my mom finally called and she's like, have you watched it yet? And I was like, no, I can't. And she's like, it's actually really good. You need to watch it. And so knowing that this is my path and this is what I've been being called to do, it's really been about developing strategies within myself of like, how do I remember not to hide? How do I remember to not become a wallflower and just default into those essentially habits that's, that I developed when I was little? That, that's fascinating. You describe yourself as a wallflower in... Uh... A lot of the people that I meet, they, they think I'm like booming with this confidence. Like they find out that I'm, I struggle with the things that I've struggled with. They're like, what? You come into a room, you kind of own it. Uh, I've always kind of been like that as a kid. Like I was always the one cracking jokes. Like I have this, like, I've only become vocal, uh, vocal about it recently, but like, I've always had this dream of being a comedian because I think that comedians have granted probably not the greatest life, uh, in terms of like fail and success, but making people laugh is unbelievable. I, I don't think there's a better feeling in the world than making people laugh. Um, so I have this like little dream, but I've always just kind of used humor and towed the line of inappropriate to lighten everything up, make things vulnerable. But you kind of use wallflowers the way of hiding. That was my way of hiding, protecting myself from like, if I'm making fun of myself and other things, like how can people do it for me? Um, so that's, that's really fascinating to me, but I can't imagine being on today's show and being like, yep, here we go. <laughs> 
There are two, I don't know if you've seen either of these things and for um, the, the people listening as well, two things that I think you'd really enjoy. The first one, have you watched The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel on Amazon oh. Prime? No. Oh my God. It is literally the best written, directed, acted, costume. Like it is the best show I've ever seen in my life. And it's about a female comedian in the 50s. So you should go watch it. It's Adapt amazing. It it's, on, it's on Amazon Prime? Amazon Prime. And then the other one, have you seen Nanette? It's no. on Netflix. Okay, that one is really good. And she talks about like using self-deprecating humor. And like, it's just, it's, it's a little heavy. It's not it, like it's comedy, but it's also not fun. Like <laughs> it's, yeah. Watch I, I, it when you're in a little bit more of a serious mood. But those two, I recommend those things to everyone. They, I've watched both of them multiple times. And um, I just, I think that they're really, really great. And they might be of help to you. So side that's note. That's awesome. Oh, I appreciate that. I'm definitely going to check them out. That's really cool. I, that, the weird connection there between a the wallflower and then me being loud and obnoxious and, and using that as my like protective coating there. That's really well, cool. But- but we all have those strategies. And the thing is that we develop when we're really young. And this is part of what I love about hypnotherapy is that we develop these things when we're so little and we don't know any different and we literally do them to survive. But the problem becomes then we're still using them as survival techniques. Years later when we don't need them anymore and they're actually harming us. And so for me, the process has been, how do I remove those survival strategies? Because I don't need them anymore. And they're actually, me being a wallflower is preventing me from doing what I'm here to do in the world. And so this is, I love hypnotherapy because you can literally reprogram your mind and you can do it without hypnotherapy. It just takes longer. But like becoming conscious of those survival tactics that we all have and then breaking them down, I think is one of the best gifts that we can give ourselves ever because it, it gets to a point where they start holding you back and they don't, they don't do their job anymore. I definitely want to jump into this hypnotherapy. Uh, I want to learn more about it. It's funny you're bringing this up though, because when I was living in Colorado, um, I go to therapy quite a bit and, and uh, a lot of it has, it has to do with just laughing life, right? Okay. No reason other than that to go to the therapy. Um, but I had talked about like the little voice inside your head and you know, like, We've, we've described, and I made a YouTube video about this, and I was walking around the mountains, I'm thinking about a little voice inside your head, and like, why do we try and overpower it instead of just make it your friend? And you know, that's, it, it's, it's not the angel and the devil. The devil is really just the angel dressed in red because it's, it's coming out as an intention of love. And then I started thinking about the primal instincts of the human brain, and you talk about that in your book as well, where it's just like, we are uh, evolutionarily primed to protect ourselves, right? We're still, you know, back in the day when they had to hunt animal and, and, you know, they didn't know when they were going to be attacked by animals. It was, you know, not even so much the people, it was the animals. Uh, And so we're still stuck in that old age there when like we live in a relatively safe place now. Um, We don't, it may not seem that way with the media, but uh, all things considered, it's pretty straightforward place. Like you don't have to go hunt your animals if you don't want to. So it's, it's weird to be living uh, out of that, that primal instinct still. Obviously, it, it's needed. It's necessary to some extent. But um, I'm glad you brought that up because that's something I think about quite a bit of how do, how, what's the next step of evolution of do we need to get away from that or is it just more understanding it, uh, stuff like that. But I want to learn more about the hypnotherapy. And I have a feeling I know where this is going to take us. It might go into the visualization, feelization stuff. We'll see. <laughs> So tell me how you got into hypnotherapy. Uh, I know you had let me know that you wanted to potentially give us some tips about how to, you know, incorporate it or what we do, what we look for. So I'm going to just, I know nothing about it. So let's give it to you. So I started doing hypnotherapy a few years ago for some health related stuff. And I would go see this hypnotherapist once a week for, you know, multiple, multiple, multiple weeks at a time. And I wasn't really seeing any change. And so I was like, well, that didn't really work for me. Um, but it still intrigued me. And I, one of my clients had done this particular form of hypnotherapy called RTT, which is rapid transformational therapy. And she had shared with me how like miraculous it was and how just unbelievably powerful it was. And so I had tried to find someone in LA that did it. And I reached out to a woman, she never got back to me. And then turns out a woman I know had posted about it several months later that she was, you know, doing RTT and all this stuff. And so I decided to just give it a go because why not? 
And it changed my life for sure. So the first um, session I had was last October. And it was amazing that I was struggling with something. I'd, I'd had this belief that I didn't know how to be a successful entrepreneur. And it was very interesting because it was like every time I opened my laptop, I would have this feeling of, I don't know, like I don't have what I need to be successful at this. And so we kind of dove into that in hypnotherapy. And it was interesting, like I said, lots of trauma in my childhood. My dad was a bipolar, paranoid, schizophrenic, and also self-medicated with alcohol and drugs. And so he had me every other weekend. And lots of weekends, he'd just be passed out because he had been drinking and couldn't cope with his voices in his head and all that stuff. And so as a little kid, three, four, five years old, I would go in the kitchen hungry and open the refrigerator and feel like I didn't have the skills or the, the tools to be successful. I couldn't feed myself. And either the refrigerator was empty or it was all like canned. Like I just couldn't feed myself. And so it was interesting that I had taken that experience and was literally recreating it every day, 30 days later or 30 years later with my work. And so we worked through that and like really uncovered a lot of great things. I had my next session. So all you need with RTT is one session. And basically this is how I see it. Our brains are like computer hard drives. And I loved how you said earlier that hypnotherapy is like a reboot because it really is. Think about your computer. You install, in fact, I have um, notifications on my thing right now that says updates available. Do you want to install the updates or try again tonight? And that's, we do that with our hard drives, but we don't do it with our brains. And so we're operating off of like the really primitive, like 1980s Macintosh, like (laughs) black screen with green pixels in our brain. Like that's what our brain is operating off of. Because again, like I talked about earlier, it's, it's operating off of things that happened to us when we were two, three, four, five years old, and we've developed our survival strategies, and then now we're still living those out now. So what hypnotherapy does is it essentially gives your brain an upgrade, like it, it gives you a, a software upgrade, right, from whatever it is, Lion to Mojave, or I don't know what they're calling them nowadays. I don't pay attention to all that stuff. Um, but it's, it's so fascinating because our subconscious brain is 95% of our brain. The conscious thoughts you have every day are only 5%. 95% of what's running your life, you cannot see, access, understand, know, touch anything. That's unless, so yeah. And so. It feels the opposite. It's what? It feels the opposite every day. I know, right? Everything, the chatter is so loud all the time. That's crazy. Well, and it's amazing to think we have, what is it, 70,000 thoughts a day, and that's only 5% of the puzzle. Imagine what's going on in an area that you don't even know. It's playing out. In fact, the the top thing that people say to me after hypnosis sessions is, wow, I, one, either don't even remember those memories, or I had no idea that they affected me in the way that they had. And so we're walking around with all of this old outdated operating like information. We update our apps all the time. Why would you not do the same for your mind? So for me, it's like a hack. I just love, like, I still do it. I, my coach does it for me. Um, I just hired a coach to coach under me who is also RTT certified. I do it for my clients. Like it is the best hack and RTT only takes 30 days. And I just, it is like, the coolest. I'm obsessed. That's it's interesting. And like you're you're explaining it as a computer and, and I have this like this vision of like where I live or where I grew up, where like the roads now are all built around and they're all connected. But the old software would be like there'd be the you know construction barrels. You can't go past this point, but you're looking past it and you're like, well somehow I gotta be able to get there. Um that's that's really fascinating and I can truly appreciate because that's again, as I told you earlier, that's kind of where I feel like I am right now with the podcast with like the training. What is it that I want to do with my life? It's not that I don't think I don't know. It's that I probably have these roadblocks that are like, no, you're not good enough. No, you can't do this. And it, almost all of it is probably because of something that happened when I was a kid and I, I, you know, twisted the story and it was like, yeah, that sounds okay. It sounds accurate right now. And it could have just been somebody else having a bad day saying the wrong thing at the wrong time to me. And I'm like, Oh, that's who I am now. So it's, that's really uh, fascinating is specifically for me right now as I'm sitting here like 
that is my struggle. Like I, I'm, you know, what do you want to do? Well, I think I have an idea, but I don't know how I'm going to get there. I don't have this clear vision of it, which I'm sure we're about to get into as well. Oh, I have all sorts of things to say about that. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's really fascinating. And, you know, for the last few years, I, I ended up having to transfer schools um, in 2010 from playing hockey. I had concussions and the life change really buried me. It brought all of these the anxiety, depression, you know, I struggled with the suicide, the addiction stuff, you know, I battled with pills and alcohol for a short period of time. And, you know, as I'm talking to you, I'm having these little like brainstorming sessions in my head. So I'm like, well, maybe that happened. Maybe I left because I needed to see that these things were a problem growing up. And now I'm, I'm much more aware of it. But for years, I've kind of been trying to you know, tackle, for lack of better terms, a lot of these things and have a better understanding and, and be more aware. And the more aware I get, the less I feel like I know about myself as far as like, what do you want? It's always like, well, is it coming from ego now? Or is, what is this? Is this for other people? Or is this what I really want? So maybe you can speak on, um, you know, we get into maybe the visualization, the feelization you talk about in the book, but maybe before that we start, how do you get quiet through the meditation and really trust that it's not just, you know, the 5% brain, but it's the subconscious coming through and saying like, here's your purpose, here's your drive, here's what you are here to do. Um, do you have any insight on like I Yeah, know. so the first thing I'll say, because I can almost guarantee that probably 90% of your listeners right now are like, oh, meditation, I can't, I can't do that, right? Yeah. Like that's, in fact, I just had this conversation in my training group last week, oh, I can't meditate. <laughs> and who else did I, someone else the other day too, Oh, one of my hypnotherapy clients couldn't get into it because she couldn't. She's like, well, I can't relax. <laughs> and I was like, no, no, no. Quietness and relaxation is our natural state. That is our natural state. That peaceful connectedness is our natural state. We have been conditioned out of it. The busy mind, the monkey mind, the, you know, constantly running and, and all of the energy that like all that stuff, like that's conditioning. That is not our natural state. That is not normal. So first off, I will say to anyone that's thinking, oh, I can't do that. You can. Not only can you, it's how you're supposed to operate. <laughs> and you've just been conditioned out of it. So we're the so first, far from the truth. It's obnoxious. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So the first thing I would say is, one, stop telling yourself you can't. So um, as you were talking, I was um, um, words from one of my mentors were coming to me. Um, Naveen, he wrote the foreword to my book and he always says, when you say something is impossible, it instantaneously becomes impossible, but only for you, not for anyone else. So you are literally writing the rules to your life. So if you're sitting here saying, well, I can't meditate, then yeah, you're not going to be able to meditate. My invitation is you can meditate. You just need to change your mind around it. So start telling yourself Meditation is my natural state of being. That's a really great way to start. Now, second, I will say everyone's like, oh, but you have to sit in the lotus position with your, you know, no thoughts for an hour. Bullshit. It, that's not, in our day and age, that is just not, if you can do that, by all means do it. I've been meditating for 10 years. That is not how I meditate. <laughs> so there are a ton of different kinds of meditation out there. Find what works for you. Are you going to land on it on the first try? Maybe. You might be lucky. You might have to try 10 different kinds of meditation before you land on what works for you, but do the work and figure out what you need in order to meditate successfully. Um, and then the other thing I would say too, so for me, I, I've, I'm so familiar with my inner world that I can tell the difference between what's my higher self, what's my ego, what's my fear what's my, you know, hopes and like, they're all different and they all speak to me in different ways. They all have different energy attached to them. They all feel differently in my body. They even all have different like tonalities. So when I know that my higher self is speaking to me, it's always like this, just, it's like a brick is dropped almost. And it's just like this boom, like this is the truth. And it's this like heavy resonating um, usually only a few words, like very succinct and to the point, like this is the truth. Now, when my ego is talking to me, it almost feels like I'm fighting. Well, this and that and da -da -da -da, and like, it's a lot of words. And when my fear is talking, it's, it's like, I can like feel this thing in my stomach. And so they're all different. 
So one, just get aware of what, like the tonality that that voice is taking. Um, get aware of how it feels in your body. Uh, get aware of the words that it's using and even the tempo at which it speaks. They're all different. I see it. Have you seen Inside Out? Yes. So I see it like that. So like inside of me, I have, you know, the little blue person in the sweater that's like, you know, and then the green one that uh, has on the, the dress and the, you, like, they're all different. The, the, the anger one and the, like, they're all different. And so I see that as my higher self and my ego and my fear and all these different things as well. It's important to really distinguish them because if you only hear them all as one voice, then you're going to get really confused about which way to go. Sure, I, that makes total sense. Like I'm, as you're saying that, I'm I'm sitting here thinking about the meditation I did this morning, and I, I had a lot of chatter this morning. I'm, I'm like, man, I don't know. But now you're saying you almost put put a label on them, and that way you can identify a little bit more easily with them. And and uh, yeah, that's as you said that too. I started re recognizing even just myself, like. But yeah, the fear does make me feel that way. And yes, the ego definitely is a, is a battle. Um, it's, it's a lot of reasoning back and forth like, oh, well, it could be this, it could be that. And, um, and then the self is just kind of like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, yeah, when your truth calm, comes. Here you go. Uh, yeah. Straightforward, no, no issues, no fight. Um, I guess some of the, my question is like, how do, you, how do you detach from the ego to trust that? Um, that higher self, that, that calm, stern, stern voice that says like this, this is who you are. This is what it is, you know, whatever it might be. How do you decipher the two to be able to say like, I'm going to trust this and I'm going to overcome or I'm going to let ego pass for now or, you know, whatever, however you want to phrase it. Yeah. So it's been a one, just remember it's a practice. Yeah. And even after 10 years, there are still times like right now, my ego's really wanting to flare up about a certain situation that's coming forth in my life. And I keep just asking, being like, help me see this in a different way. Help me see this in a different way. Help me see that what, what's the other option? Like I'm open, please show me. And so even though I'm not past it yet, all I know, my intention every day is to be open to seeing that there's something else available to me. Okay. So, um, you know, it is a practice and it does take even, even 10 years in, I'm still like, I don't know if it's something that we'll ever quote unquote overcome or something that we just learn how to manage better. Um, so one of the things kind of like I just demonstrated with what I'm going through right now is like just this surrender of like, I don't know. I don't have the answer about how not to be in my ego about this right now. And that's okay. But I'm open to there being another way. And I'm open to the universe showing me what that could look like. So surrender, I think, is a big thing. Um, I hand a lot of stuff over to the universe all the time. And I'm just like, I'm only a human. I don't, <laughs> my perspective is like nothing compared to yours. So I just, I'm going to give this over to you and please show me the way. Awesome. So surrender is a big thing. And then the other thing too, like really kind of making peace with your ego. And like we talked about earlier, just remembering your ego's job is just to keep you safe. Right. And it's built up to protect you from a lot of things. And your ego will never come to you as a vulnerability. It will never come to you in softness. It will never come to you um, asking for openness or asking for surrender. And so you can really start to identify when it's different. I just was at a retreat um, a week and a half ago and was, was dealing like with some healing stuff within myself. And I sat down at one moment and one of the facilitators put her hand on my heart and I had this immediate, I don't know who I am without this story. And it just, it came to me and it came through my heart and I just started bawling. And I was like, my ego has been so attached to this experience in my life and holding on to it so tightly because it threatens my very identity. It's something I've been holding on to since I was very, very, very little. And I don't know who I am without it. And the ego will do anything and everything to keep your identity intact. That's its job. Interesting. Uh, you are speaking straight to me, so I'm sorry if I feel like I'm a little bit scattered right now. Uh, no, you're good. That is, uh, 
I'm having a ton of thoughts about a lot of things right now, being attached to like things that you feel like define you. Um, that is a massive block for me or something I struggle with is it's like, oh, I'm this person, but without it, I don't, I don't have any identity. I don't know. And I think that was one of my major struggles in transition from playing hockey in college and moving home being like, I don't, I don't have my outlet. I'm who am I? I was Brian, the hockey player. And now I'm Brian. I don't, you know, who the hell is this guy? Yeah. Um, that's, that's really interesting. Um, well, so may I share kind of, so I did a massive healing that day with it. Like I did some really intense energetic work and like movement work and embodiment work and all sorts of stuff. And when I came out on the other side of it, um, I really sat down and wrote out like, who am I? Who am I? What are the things that make me, me? And it's, it's actually very similar. It's like a deeper layer and level than I went when I shut down my fashion brand because I went through a massive identity crisis back then too. If I'm not a fashion designer, what am I? And so really like giving yourself permission to open up and see who you are without those labels. So for me, like one of the things that came through was like, I'm a dancer. And I was like, I've danced since I was little, but I've never identified as being a dancer. And I was like, oh, I am. That is something that like really makes up me. And I'm so many things other than, you know, these stories that I've been attaching myself to. And it was incredibly healing. And, um, you know, a lot has opened up in my life for me, even in just the last 10 days since I left that experience. That's, so. uh, you know, I, I said overcome ego. And I think what I really meant was in, in I probably meant what I said, but what, I'm lo- trying to figure out how to word it as far as like, you phrase it as take the leap. Right. Like, and, and I think that's kind of where I am sure where a lot of people get stuck. Right. You wrote a book about it. Uh, so it must be, it must not just be you and I, um, <laughs> the, the confidence to overcome that, that voice that says like, you can't do it. This is the wrong thing. This is dangerous. And saying, you know what, I'm going to trust that guidance from within and I'm, I'm going to go for it. But something I struggle with and the, the words that ego says, uh, are, you know, you're too dumb. You're stupid for this. People don't like this. People think you're stupid. And a lot of it's that external environment chatter that really just kind of bogs you down versus, you know, when I talk about the podcast, people are like, well, how do you feel? I'm like, well, I'm done. I'm, I'm like high. I don't even need the drug. I'm, I'm good to go. I'm ready to tackle life. And here we go. Um, so like that alone should be the energy I follow, but the ego just stays so loud. And what is your jumping off point. Where is the leap? Where is it that you're like, I'm at the edge, time to leap. I'm taking that jump. Well, and one thing to remember too, is that the ego lies to us constantly to keep us where we are because that's its job. So one of the things I always like to ask is like, is this true? Is it true that I'm dumb? Like that's not true. And then you can start looking for proof of like, we are having a very intelligent conversation right now. Like if you were dumb, we probably wouldn't be talking, right? Like, so you can, (laughs) yeah, you can start to look for proof every single day that like, oh, ego, I see you. I honor the fact that you think this is real. And actually it's, that's not true. And so you can start turning it around and really um, just proving it wrong with tangible stuff too, right? Like, so that you can latch on to something real and be like, no, 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 this is real. Those stories you're telling me are not, no, this is real. And just continually reaffirming that like, that's not actually the truth. Um, so there's that. Uh, and then your question was about like taking the leap. So yes, we are definitely not the only ones um, who are taking the leap or, you know, definitely not the only one who struggles taking the leap. Uh, for me, let's see, what, there was something that came up earlier, maybe it'll come back to me. There's always a tipping point for me where there's a point where I can't not do it anymore. And I think the biggest thing that people struggle with, and this is one of like a lot of what I train about is that we trust our eyesight more than our vision. And for anyone that's listening to this and not watching it, you know, obviously your eyesight is coming from your eyes. It's the world around you. Your vision is what lives within you. It's that big picture thing that you said earlier, like, well, how do I get there? 
that's your vision. So for me, it's been about kind of like tipping the scales and putting more faith, more trust, more weight, more importance on my vision than on my eyesight. Because if I only followed my eyesight, man, I would be screwed. Like, I mean, so to be completely, completely transparent with you on September 1st, which was just two months ago, I had $4 in my bank account. And had I trusted my eyesight in that moment, I would have quit. Wow. Now, fast forward two months, I've done 80 grand in sales in two months. Wow. <laughs> right? So because I, because I trust my vision, because I show up, I take inspired action. I do literally everything I wrote in my book. I don't just write that shit. That's my life. That's how I live. That's what I practice because it works. I trust my vision over my eyesight because our, our external world, you talk about co-creation, it takes longer for things to manifest in our physical world than it does in our internal energetic emotional world. You can manifest something in your internal world in a second. It's not going to come into your physical world for a while. It just takes more time for the the atoms and molecules to arrange themselves in a certain configuration to bring what you're manifesting into the physical world. So I always say, and Abraham Hicks says this as well, your eyesight, the things in your physical world are about six months behind. So everything that you're seeing in your physical world is already old news. So if you're basing your, your life, your, your capacity, your possibility on what you can see in your physical world, you're literally living in the past rather than living in the present, which exists within you and the future with, which also exists within you. That's interesting. I love that. Uh, I'm, I'm having flashbacks of times where I've, I felt like this. When I, when I moved to Colorado, I had certain situations where I was in the mountains and I was like, this is everything that you picture your life to be right now. And here we are. <clears throat> and then here we are with some other things going on too. So uh, this feels like a great jumping off point to uh, <clears throat> talk about first the visualization, feelization that you talk about in the book. And then I am, I keep bringing this up, I feel like, but I am fascinated by the universal double check. Um, so maybe we can try and tie these two things together and, and express yes. them in whatever way you think is necessary. Yes. So just like I was just talking about, this is perfect to talk about visualization here, is that like really connecting with that vision within you every single day is so, so, so important. And not just like, you know, I say seeing it, you, you, can, you can see it in your mind's eye, you can, you can visualize it, but also tapping into the feelings of it. So one of the examples I share in the book is Michael Phelps used this to win all the gold medals he used. His coach, whose name is Bob, I forget his last name, um, was the one that got him to start visualizing when he was very little. So he would spend hours in the pool every day practicing in the physical world, and then he would go home and in his bed every single night but before he went to bed and when he woke up in the morning, he would lay in bed and he would not only envision himself uh, winning those gold medals, but he would feel his muscles straining as he was taking every stroke. He would feel the water washing over his body. He would feel himself touching that wall, popping out of the water, seeing the cloth and realizing that he had won that gold medal and then allowing himself to feel what it felt like to win. And he did that so much that now doesn't he have like the most gold medals of any Olympic swimmer ever or something like like he used athlete for the Olympics. Yeah. (laughs) He used this very practice to trust his vision more than his eyesight. If he had trusted his trusted his eyesight at the age of 12, he probably, and he only relied on that. He would have kept recreating the same things because at 12, you can't win a gold medal, right? You have to trust that vision within you. And so visualization is a way to do that. The other thing I love about visualization is that it actually changes the chemistry of your brain, which is fascinating. And it brings your vision more into your comfort zone because you're basically proving again and again and again to your ego that this is, this is real. My vision is real because your brain perceives what you visualize as reality in that moment. And so you're constantly, it's like building a muscle every single day. You're lifting weights 
to strengthen that vision within you. And it brings it closer and closer and closer to your comfort zone so that when it happens, it's not like a, oh shit, oh my God, this is so scary. What am I going to do? It's a, of course this is happening. Like, of course this is here. Awesome. Well, it's, it's, uh, you talked about in the book, but, and like, you know, playing hockey, like we always talked about, even from a young age, like at least a few minutes before the game, like put yourself in the situations on the ice and, you know, prepare yourself for these things because when they happen, you just, you just follow through on them. It's not, you're not surprised by them. Um, you talk about Michael Phelps where the one race he, he did, he set the world record, uh, where his goggles, you got water in his goggles and just from habit of practicing visualization, he was able to do it and he beats the world record with, you know, blind essentially. Yeah, without uh, eyesight. Right. And it's crazy. They do this with basketball players shooting free throws and you know what? So, you know, it's not like, uh, I think a lot of people hear some of this stuff and they're like, well, that just seems like witchcraft or, you know, voodoo crap. And you're like, well, I don't know. It seems to be working for some people. So why not at least entertain it and, and give well, a shot at it? And now there's science to back it up. Like it's not woo. There's legit brain science. There's neuroscience to back up all of these things. Someone posted a, a comment or a review on Amazon that was like, this is just all fluff and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> And I never respond to reviews on Amazon, but someone else went in and commented, like, clearly you didn't read the book. Cause like there's an entire reference set, like a three pages of references in the back of the book filled with like scientific studies and psychological studies and like all these things. It's super important. Our brain needs to know how these things work. And there's actual science that goes behind it nowadays, which is like the coolest. Well, I always, I kind of equate it to like people that use steroids, right? I'm in the fitness industry and, you know, these things come up and people are like, well, that's cheating. Like, okay, if that's what you, your view on it, that's fine. But don't mistake that for they take steroids and they don't work hard. It's, it's another tool to help them move forward. Fine. So to me, like, it's kind of similar where it's like, this is, you don't just sit there and visualize and sit there and be like, well, you know, in three weeks, maybe this will happen. Like, no, now you have to go execute your plan and just see what happens. And it's, I think people hear it as like, you know, when people watch the movie, The Secret, like, well, if I just wish hard enough for a car, it'll show up. No, that's not what they're saying. That, what they're saying is that put it, commit it to yourself, commit it to your memory, put it out there and then go do your job. Go do what yep. you need to do to create these things. You're, you're functioning from a better place. And I often talk about like when people kind of get on me. I'm like, well, listen, if you had a group of 10 people that were positive and a group of 10 people that were negative, which one would you rather be around? Probably the positive. So like being positive is probably going to attract a few more positive things to you than the negative things. So however you want to phrase it, you want to put the picture together, by all means do so. But don't misunderstand that it's not just sitting there wishing and chucking up the prayer. It's, it's, it's and this is picturing it, running yourself through, through the plan, accepting that it is there and then moving forward through your day to day. Yeah. And this is exactly why I used to teach exclusively like manifestation, like traditional manifestation. About two years ago, I was teaching that. And last year just had this major moment where I was like, I actually dislike the manifestation industry. Like I really don't like because it is just that. Well, if I sit here and think about a red car hard enough, it's just going to show up. No, it's not. It is not just going to show up. So that's why I started really pivoting, although it wasn't much of a pivot, it was really the same things. I'm just calling it different stuff, um, is co-creation. And then now I do, I run this training called the anti-manifestation training, which of course isn't anti-manifestation. It's just more about taking responsibility for your actions and being an active co-creator with the energies of the universe to bring about what it is that you desire. So um, I'm actually running that training again in December. I'm super excited about it. So it's going to awesome. be good. Is it in a, a location or is that something virtual? It's all virtual. Um, people can register now, actually. It's at challenge.bereseely.com. Um, you'll get, if you register now, you'll get the former one. Um, but if you register now, you'll get informed when the live one happens again in December. Well, cool. I will make sure there's links everywhere for this stuff. So. Um, it's fun. It's a great back. training. Um, so building off of the visual feelization, right? So I think, I don't know, I feel like I have a pretty good understanding of maybe that's part of the practice I've been in, but um, you talk about the universal double check in your book and this, there's a lot of things that I felt like I connected to in your book and they spoke directly toward to me. 
But when you brought up Universal uh, Double Check, I was like, you son of a bitch. Like, that's what, maybe that's what this stuff was, you know, when I was challenged with, do I move home from Colorado? And the people that know me best know that, like, they're like, last year, despite your struggles, we never, that was, I felt like it was who I was. I was in a place of, of self and challenge and growth. And then I moved home and, again, being around family, uh, progressing. There's plenty of things that I'm growing with here. There's no question. But I'm looking back after you said that in the book and I'm like, did I, did I just, did the universe challenge me? Did they put things in my way to say, like, what do you really want? And now I'm sitting here thinking, oh, man, you totally got beat by the challenge and you weren't sure of yourself. So Yes and no. Okay. Because now I say this too, right? Like living back in Minneapolis for the first time in 17 years, a place I said I would never, ever, ever, ever come back to. Like so much so that I usually don't even visit once a year. Like I really have resisted this place. And so, you know, when I was kind of called to come back here in between leaving LA and moving to New York, I was like, are you kidding me? Like, I don't, that's not, I don't. And, and, you know, you could see it as a defeat or you could see it as maybe this is actually the next step. So for me, I knew that I was coming back here to do a lot of healing work, yeah. a lot. And it has been, I mean, the last several months have been intense healing things that weren't even on my radar at the time to heal. And it's really given me an opportunity to step back a little bit because LA is a very distracting city and build out some foundations for my business so that, you know, making 80 grand in eight weeks becomes my norm and not a fluke. So, you know, yes and no, it, it, you could have been backing down from challenges, or it could be that this is just the next step in your journey for you. So the way that the universal double check was gifted to me three years ago from a coach. And what happened was that it was in March on a Thursday, um, no, Wednesday night, I signed my contract with her. Now I signed this contract having a fashion business, but little to no income. Like my fashion business was sustaining itself, but it wasn't sustaining me. My, I'd been on unemployment, but it had ended three months earlier. I literally had no idea how I was going to pay her much less anything else in my life. But I trusted, I trusted that higher self rather than the ego or the fear and signed the contract. So Wednesday night, I signed the contract. Thursday morning on my way to work, I totaled my car. Now I had had that car um, for I think eight years or something. I had no payments left on it. Like it was, it was free. That the vibe that you speak of? Yeah. yeah. I, have, I loved I wanted to talk about the accident on the top of my paper here. So this is great. <laughs> I loved my vibe. It was such a good car. It treated me so well. And I totaled it on the way into my office that literally the day after I signed that contract. So now not only am I sitting on a $25,000 contract I've just signed, I live in LA. I have to have a car. I didn't have the proper insurance on it. So I sold my car for parts. I walked away from that accident, luckily, completely safe and healthy. There was no injuries, no nothing. I didn't even have a sore muscle. Um, and with $600, that's it. So here I am with this choice. Do I trust my higher self and my vision moving forward with this coach or do I back out because now all of a sudden my eyesight is telling me that I don't have an income. I have this big expense now every month. Um, I have to now get a car, have a car payment, all these things. And I remember sitting on the curb waiting for the tow truck just in tears being like, what do I do? Right. What do I do? And I feel like it was a fork in the road where the universe was like, you can choose to walk down this path or you can just keep going the way you've been. And I just, I had a moment where I was like, I can't keep doing what I've been doing. If I keep going down the path I'm going down, I am going to burn and like crash and burn massively. Yeah. And so I was faced with that choice. And that was my universal double check moment, one of them. And I chose my higher self. I chose that vision. I chose to trust that even though I couldn't see with my eyes how it was going to unfold, that it would. And it did, right? So I learned how to show up in a different way. 
I learned how to be a better person through that experience. I learned how to access my power in a different way. And because of it, my whole life has transformed. Now, had I continued walking down the old path, you know, I mean, maybe this was a universal double check for you to say, you can't keep going down whatever this path is that you've been going down. And maybe going to Detroit was the exact thing you needed to take the next step for yourself. So it's hard to know. It's hard to know definitively. And I always say, like, I just trust the decisions I make. And I trust that if I have to, you know, re-navigate that decision at some point in the future, if I'm faced with new information, then I will do that. I ended up firing that coach six months into our contract because she decided to change how she was serving me and it just didn't work for me anymore. So, you know, when you make a decision, you can always change, like you can always re-navigate. When we're faced with more challenges, we have the resiliency within ourselves to pivot again if we need. Right. Well, it's, it's, after I said that and you started talking about it, I was like, I can't, I can't say that I, I didn't accept challenge or I didn't come home for a reason. I felt like I was pulled home and uh, obviously like I'm sitting here right now and I'm like, there's so much growth that's happened in the last, I don't know, four months, whatever. I've moved home for whatever, however many months it has been, but you know, so I need to do a better job of acknowledging like, okay, here's what's been going on. Here's what's taking place. So, um, but like you said, you can re-navigate to wherever you want to go. Uh, at any moment. So that's, that's really fascinating to me. Um, I appreciate you kind of checking me on that. <laughs> so then spoiler alert. Oh, you're so welcome. Spoiler alert. So two days after that, I also got word. That's when I got like the big, like brick dropping word that it was time to shut down my fashion brand, which was like another whole thing. And then I got to go through a whole ego death around who <laughs> am I? And like, it was 2015 was an incredible year. And at the time, of course it looked bad. Sure. Like, oh, this is terrible. I'm, I'm going through all this pain. Like I ended up in December, 2015, not being able to pay my rent. And, or I guess it was end of December, beginning of January, 2016, I couldn't pay my rent. And nine months after that, I had my first, like I, I crested my first six figures in business. Wow. So like we're faced with all these challenges and we can choose to look at them as, you know, bad or negative, or we can choose to look at them as, a test, like a, a, I don't like to say test because I actually don't think the universe is testing us, but really just an opportunity for us to do better and do greater and expand more into who we're meant to be in the world. Interesting. Now, we'll we'll uh, start kind of wrapping this up here. I know we're getting close, and I don't want to keep you all day, but um, <laughs> I have I have two questions to finish off with before we ask you where everybody can find you and what's coming up for you, but. One of the things that I struggle with is when does, for lack of better terms, when does stability come into this? And how do you, you know, does that something that is attainable when you have, when you're chasing, you know, I don't know if chasing is the right word even. It's hard to do this when trying to use the right verbs. But, you know, you want to be able to settle down, but you also want to chase what you feel like you're driven to do. And how does stability come and go? Is it, an, is it possible? Is it um, something that you kind of have to get comfortable with saying like, eh, I might not just, you know, you might not just stay in one spot for the rest of your life or, um, or is that just part of what, what you see your vision as? So, um, you know, I think the first step in answering this question is really defining for you what does stability look like? Sure. So for me, I've known for a very long time, you know, growing up in the Midwest, stability looks like you go to college and you get married and you get a job and you have babies. And that's your life. And I knew at a very, very, very young age, that was not my life. And so for me, defining stability looks completely different than most people I know. And so one, I would say, what does stability look like for you? And then the other thing, I listen to a lot of Abraham Hicks and, and what they say is you can't be in the experience of a thing if you are existing in the question of it. So if you're seeking for stability, that is different than experiencing stability. And so my invitation would be to ask you, what is stable in your life right now based on your own unique definition? And how can you dwell in that more often and more frequently? Because that will then help you bring in and create more of that definition of stability in your external world. So I always first create things within myself 
and look for ways that, um, that it's already existing in my life. And then I just grow upon it from there. So like, for example, with money stuff, I constantly find money. Always. I find money everywhere and I have money everywhere. Like in my home that like this right here is my money tree. And there's, there's a lottery ticket sticking out of it right now. And like a Euro and a yen and a dollar and a million dollar bill. And there's like things in the dirt and everything too. So like I, I find pennies everywhere. And every time I find a penny, I pick it up and I'm like, thank you universe for sending wealth into my life. And I'm constantly in the celebration of wealth and abundance, even if in those moments, like September 1st, when I had $4 in my bank account. So I don't disconnect from the feeling of abundance, even when or if my bank account looks differently than I want it to, because I know that it is in being in the energy of it that's going to help attract more to it rather than being in the energy of the lack of it. If you're in the energy of the lack of it, you're going to continue generating the lack of it. Does right. that make sense? Yeah. And well, you spoke in your book too about um, how you used to kind of come from a place of lack with money, didn't you? Yeah. And you know, that one's such a hard one too. Like it's definitely something I first started working on money mindset stuff probably around like January, February, March of 2015. And since 2015, really up until now, I've been like kind of going in and out of it. It's been when you're shifting into new things, the old stuff is still so deeply ingrained in your brain that you'll like dive into it. So I would have like a $50,000 month in my business and then go without income for three months. Wow. And then I would have another $50,000 month in my business and go without income for three months. And so I was in this like constant flux between abundance and lack and abundance and lack. And I like couldn't stay in the energy of abundance enough, even in the face of lack to like make that stick. Now this year that's changed immensely. When I, in September, uh, had that experience, I, yes, was a little, like a little upset about it, but nothing like I ever would have been in the past. I didn't shame myself. I didn't make myself bad for it. I didn't, you know, I really got to work and the following week I did $50,000. So, you know, it's, it's been a gradual unfolding and, and like, like I said, strengthening. Um, so, and I'm, I'm constantly learning and constantly continuing to expand and, and be better in this, you know, it's never, I don't know if I'll ever arrive, but my, my order for 2019 to the universe is that 2019 is going to be my first seven figure year. And I'm unwilling to believe anything but that. I love it. I love it. It's uh Jim, Jim Carrey is one of my favorite people in the world and partially because he's so non-conforming. Uh, and, and that's, uh, I feel like I'm always drawn to the people that are non-conforming because I feel like I've always looked at life and been like, why is everybody doing the same exact thing? And why are the people that are, you know, what we would just find as successful financially or in impact, impacting the world, whatever it is, their leaders, they don't do things conforming wise. They do things very, very different. And I've always been drawn to that. You know, even athletes, like they do things very differently than the people that don't make it athletically. Um, and so that's, that's really interesting. Jim Carrey is one of my favorite uh, just because he's, he's so different. People think he's whack. And sometimes you're like, all right, Jim, like that seems a little bit out there, but it's what he feels is him. And, and, you know, he talks about, he talked about with Oprah years ago about how he wrote himself the $10 million check. For, and then all of a sudden, right before Thanksgiving, Dumb and Dumber comes out and there it was. And, yep. you know, you know, a lot of people say it's serendipity, whatever you want to call it, that's fine, but it still happened. Um, so. Well, and it's like we talked about earlier, it's, it's like the visualization stuff really works when you do that stuff. And when you have that check in front of you every day and you're constantly reaffirming that like, you know, I, I am whole, I'm the holder of a $10,000 check. Like that is 10, or 10, 10 million, sorry. Um, but like that is that this, it works and it like, you can say it's crazy and not do it. And by all means, good luck with that. I always say if you're purposefully and consciously creating, or if you're not purposefully and consciously creating, both will generate the same outcomes. So what are you aiming towards? What are you doing about it? 
And you might as well, you're putting the same amount of energy out there to create the things you don't want. So why not shift and start creating the things you do want? It takes no extra energy than what you're currently focusing on. You just have to shift your focus. That's it. Interesting. Yeah, it's, uh, I, was, I was doing a meditation, a guided meditation yesterday with, uh, uh, in, through Deepak Chopra. And the, I forget, I, I'm going to butcher how it's phrased, but it's, you know, uh, water, a hose directed directly at a, water, at a, a flower allows it you know, to grow versus a hose sprayed up in the air with just going everywhere it doesn't it's not focused right that's the, that was the kind of concept of it, is that focused energy is, is what we really need so that's yep. that's really awesome um i think this is probably a great place to wrap it up for today i know i'm, I'm sure you're very very busy you got a lot of moving going on coming up for you um but before we take off i have fi- two final questions and before we get to those brie tell what's coming up what's been where can people find you? I know you've got a ton of platforms. Your website is awesome. Thank uh, you. But just uh, let us all know where we can find you, and I'll be sure to put some links up for everybody. So pretty much everywhere online, I'm Bree Seely. So my website is breeseely.com. My Facebook, I think, is Bree Seely Official, but if you search Bree Seely, I come up. Um, my Twitter, my Instagram, everything's just at Bree Seely. Um, you can find my book on Amazon. Again, it's called Permission to Leap. And... Um, what I have coming up, I do have that live anti-manifestation challenge coming up in December, which I'm super excited about. Uh, you can register for that at challenge.breeseely.com. Um, or if you are anywhere on any of my socials or my, my email list or anything, you will, you will hear about it. Awesome. Awesome. That's Bree Seely, B-R-I-S-E-E-L-E-Y. Yep. For whatever reason, when I type it out, I never put the last E in there. I don't know what that is about, but um, secret most people don't and uh, i also own that url that just redirects to the correct url awesome. because you can't, it's, you can't get it wrong at this point it's so common it happens so often that finally a few years ago i was like i'm just gonna buy the url because I, at this point i can't not like it it's costing me more to not have it than it is to have it so it's terrific i will be sure to make sure everybody can find the link and everything through the podcast and instagram and everything but uh, your content's awesome. Um, Thank you. I definitely felt uh, drawn to it when I looked at it. It's, it's very inviting. It, 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 after your book, like every, everything, I'm just, I felt motivated to take on the world myself. You know, it's, uh, it's super easy to feel connected to you and, and your, your content speaks like straight to people's heart. Well, to my heart at least. So it, it was, it was wild. It was a lot yesterday. I didn't want to, I didn't want to take my headphones off, but <laughs> so the last two questions, the first one, um, I know you you're, you were in fashion. I know it's a big part of who you who you think you might be your identity or how you identified previously. And but you spent some time in Italy uh, doing fashion, right? Favorite thing about Italy? Oh my God, where do I start? Like literally all of it. I love the language. The, it is the most beautiful language. In fact, for the longest time, I've been like, "Can hey universe, can I just marry an Italian man?" Like I just. <laughs> Can I just, it's just, the, the language is beautiful. Their food is fantastic. I learned how to drink espresso over there. And like, I just, it is so good. And, and like, um, everything, the, the best meal I ever had was in Bologna. And it was just simple pasta with a dollop of ricotta inside and like a butter sage sauce. And like, it doesn't get much more basic than that. And it was the most delicious thing I've ever eaten in my life. I mean, the gelato the architecture, the art that like, oh, I just, I'm going back next year with my roommates from when I lived there the first semester um, because it's our 15 year anniversary. So awesome. yeah. yeah, I've never heard anyone speak ill about Italy and uh, it, it's, uh, you know, we're Italian family. We, I call our family fake Italians because we don't, we're just loud and we love, but <laughs> we don't, we don't seem, we don't have a huge family or anything. So we're kind of like talking with our hands, you know, uh, so I call amazing. Italians, but uh, the, yeah, it's Italy is the one place like I, I say, I want to go to Europe really badly and <clears throat> just kind of like backpack it. Italy is probably the first landing spot for me that, or, you know, Switzerland, I, for whatever reason, those two places, I'm like, wow, this, they look amazing. So very, let cool. me know when you go, I have a whole list of Florence is where I lived. And so, and I still, um, the woman I just hired to start coaching under me was just in Florence. And I was like, here are all the things. <laughs> everything go do everything and she messaged me and she's like we did almost everything on your list and it was fantastic so awesome. when you're ready to go message I'll definitely me. be in contact with you and hopefully this isn't the last time we talk here um but uh so final question for you um 
what does it mean to you or to be able to contribute to the world so that you yourself or people around you are living a life well done? Um, for me, I mean, this is, it's just, it is everything, you know, I'm, I have been very clear. I'm not here on this earth to just get by like me leaving the world in a better place and leaving the humans in a better place than when I came onto the earth is kind of the only thing that matters to me. And I've gotten really clear lately, my job is to be a bridge. And it is really to take people out of lower levels of consciousness and really bridge them, like be that bridge to them to get them to higher levels of consciousness. And, um, you know, I'm here to raise the consciousness of the planet and it's not about me. Like I, I could just sit on my couch with my cat for the rest of my life and be completely, fully, absolutely content. But there's something within me that will not let that be the case and just continues to drive and motivate me to keep reaching more people and keep impacting more people. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't be on this planet right now if that wasn't my mission, my gift, my opportunity. I don't know. It's just, it's so deeply ingrained in who I am that I can't imagine a life without it. I love it. I love it. Well, Brie, this has been so awesome. You have so many awesome qualities. The leadership quality comes through. The motivational quality comes through. Uh, you're so warm and easy to talk to. So I, I, I thank you for that. And thank you for taking time out of your day to, to meet with me. And um, I will be sure to link everybody up to where they can find you and tag you on Instagram and everything. Um, but good luck with all your moves and Thank you. I think there's potentially, uh, some new, new stuff coming out as far as writing. Um, but, uh, be sure to check out Bree's book, Permission to Leap. Um, be linked, but, uh, Bree, thank you so much. I hope we can do this again really soon and we can find out what else is coming up. Thank you for holding the space. It was a great conversation. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. I will talk to you soon and good luck with everything. 